This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. under massive pressure because the last three weeks uh, I haven't been preaching and everybody said how brilliant it is uh, and uh, more than that everybody's spoken really incredibly well uh, Vicky, Steve and Sophie all spoken really well so I'm feeling under pressure and I've got the I've got the fill-in guy not I am the fill-in guy but I've got the fill-in guy today because the fill-in guy in our story is Isaac and if you look at the life of Isaac, you think, well, what on earth has he done apart from lie on the altar, which we heard about last week and maybe uh, got sacrificed? No, he didn't. And, and so there's, it's almost the story of Isaac is like this bridge between uh, brilliant, interesting stuff about uh, uh, Abraham and really kind of interesting stuff about Jacob. Now, you probably thought, oh, well, I'm really glad I came because, um, you know, Jake, Isaac's life's not very interesting. But actually... I think most of our lives are actually fairly unspectacular. Uh, most of us wouldn't make, uh, you know, founding father of a nation or, you know, the, 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 the founder of 12 tribes of Israel. We wouldn't do that. Most of our lives are, are fairly unspectacular. Uh, but I thought about it, actually, and I thought um, all our lives, and, and I'd like you to think as I go here, all our lives are uh, punctuated by, by those defining moments, those defining moments that are, uh, good or, or bad, they're challenging moments for us. Uh, and so uh, Isaac's defining moment, obviously this is an original picture, <laughs> the old guy is Abraham, the young guy is Isaac, Isaac's carrying the wood to go up to the altar, Sophie talked so brilliantly last week about it, but I guess that, that if you'd imagined uh, that defining moment, you've got not maybe the same defining moments, but you might have had Moments where you felt your life turned, or you felt those, those moments where you learned the deepest lessons. And sometimes those are real highs, those are really brilliant high moments, where you think, man, I, I've really learned some stuff there. But actually, the, the, the reality is, most of us learn the most, the deepest spiritual lessons, the most, we learn the lessons about ourselves in those low moments. We learn in those moments where perhaps we lose our job, or, uh, or we find out uh, something, or maybe you know our, our wife, husband has had an affair, or those those shocking moments. Uh, is, is where we, we find so much about ourselves, and often where you, in those moments, uh, you can be defined by the by the negative of those. You can be defined by uh, bitterness or rejection or pain or anger. I thought it was wonderful last week when we, we prayed for people who who felt that they they'd had trust damage by parents or people in authority, maybe church. Uh, and, and there's some really lots of people getting prayed for, and and you can you can be defined by that in a sense of negative or bitter, or you can be defined by that in in, in a sense of saying no, I'm going to learn some deep lessons here. I, my one of my most horrible defining moments was when I was working for a church uh, in London, and I found a piece of paper on the photocopier glass, 
uh, that I was photocopying something else. I found this piece of paper on the photocopy of glasses. I list, lift to put my document on. And on that piece of paper, it basically said that I was going to be losing my job in a year's time. And I looked at this paper, piece of paper. And I remember a week later, I spoke to the senior pastor who was my employer. Uh, and I said, look, what's, what's this? And he said, you know, how did you find out? And what happened? Did you look around in my drawers? I said, Steve, I didn't. I just saw it on the glass. And I remember just feeling sick and feeling betrayed. And I'm in a leaders' meeting. It's probably about this number, 60, 70 people. And, and, and a guy from the States picked me out and said, I, I don't know who to pick. I picked Tom. He's secure. And he just pointed at me and said, I just see massive rejection over you. Actually, I should point to an anonymous person. It feels like I'm cursing you. Massive <laughs> rejection over you. And, and you must not let that def- rejection define you. You must let the pain of it transform you. That's an incredible word. He had no idea. Maybe it's because my eyes were red and it looked like, you know, I'd got hay fever in the middle of winter or whatever. But, but it was just this word where I just thought, ah, oh, I could just be defined by this moment. But I learned some lessons in that moment. I learned that I, I, to forgive and I learned to, to move on and learned to believe that God's got a bigger purpose in those moments. So I reflected on Isaac in his moment. And... Um, his moment, oh, now let me just explain what we're going to do here. I, I thought Vic's thing was so smooth and trendy because uh, that I do it. Now, what, why I've done this is because you probably can't see it. Is it a little bit out of focus? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. But basically what we've got on the black line at the top, we've got I, uh, Abraham's age. So he was like 75 when he went, moved from Ur in, of the Chaldeans to Canaan. And he was 100 when Isaac was born. So you see Isaac at the bottom, zero. Do you get that? Okay. And then the bit in the middle are the chapters. And the reason why I've done that is because we are going to bounce around. And Prezi does that. It bounces you around. We're going to bounce around uh, the chapters. Uh, and, and we're going to cover uh, over 100 years. So the story finishes when I, Abraham is long gone and uh, Isaac is about 130 and a queuing up for, for Adam, who's preaching next week. So we're going to do that and bounce around uh, this. So, okay, so you've got the start of it. So all those chapters. So rather than turn to it, we're going to do that. And we're going to bounce around and see that. But let's start with Abra- um, Isaac's defining moment. He lays on an altar. He lays on an altar. He's, he's, um, he's been carrying the wood. And uh, his, his, the, uh, his dad, Abraham, is carrying the knife and the fire. And God has said sacrifice him. And it was so moving last week uh, to think, to put yourself in Isaac's place at that point and think, how did he feel? He knew he was the promised child. He knew he was the special one. He knew how much his mother, Sarah, had celebrated him because she couldn't have kids and she was infertile and she'd celebrated him. But yet here was him and his dad, his close relationship that he had with his dad, and we'll find it was a guy in this incredible close relationship with his dad. But yet, he says to his, he says to his dad, whoop, sorry, point there. He says to his dad, uh, Genesis 22, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abram, yes, my son, Abram replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abram answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I mean, those words, God himself will provide the lamb. Were, were, at that point, you know, I don't think they had m- much significance. He probably thought, well, it's all going to be fine. But he's starting to think, maybe I'm the one 
who's going to be sacrificed. And, and I can just imagine uh, Isaac, as it were, on the, laid on the altar. That he lays, you know, he's probably about 15 or 20. He lies, uh, allows his dad to bind his hands. And his father, imagine the horror of it. His father is ready with a knife plunged over his heart, ready to plunge it in. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Amazing. That moment is an incredible defining moment for his life. He's just laying there passively, not fighting God. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, Abraham replied. Isaac says nothing. Here am I, Isaac, uh, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. I mean, I, I, Isaac would have heard those words. I thought, well, I'm not the only son. Actually, there's a, I've got a half-brother called Ishmael. But there's a sense where he would have thought, no, I, I, I am the one who was promised. And, 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 God, and he was going to kill me. And now he's saying, don't lay a hand on the boy. And then it says, Abraham looked up in a thicket. He saw a ram caught by the horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham, it says, Abraham called that place God will provide. I think in, the, in that moment, he's learning two incredible lessons. He's learning whatever happens, God will provide. In a most critical, defining moment, God will provide. Where his dad was a bit of a fighter and a chaser and a pioneer, we find actually through the story that, that Abraham seems, Isaac seems almost passive. But he's learned God will provide. Imagine that moment, you think, I'm going to be slain. And then God provides a solution. That would have been ringing in his ears all the time. Whatever happens, God will provide. And the other thing that would have been there, he thinks, and we'll follow this through the, through the story, what would my dad do? What would my father do? Because he's trusted his father. He's trusted his father to climb, do the journey, climb up the hill, carry the wood. He's trusted his father, and his father said, don't worry, God will provide. And God has provided. So he trusts his father. And I found this interesting uh, bit of artwork. Does anybody know where that piece of artwork is? I'm sorry, I should zoom it more, but it's actually a, a ram uh, and a golden bush. Does anyone know where it is? It's in the British Museum. And guess where it was found? In Mesopotamia, in Ur. That's random, isn't it? Who came from Ur? Abraham. So they find this bit of artwork with a, lamb in the thick, a ram in the thicket. I don't know. But there's obviously some resonance about leaving behind what's before, gone before, and he's moved into this thing. So, 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 so Isaac has this defining moment. He's got these two things resonating. Whatever happens, God will provide, and what would my dad do? So let's, uh, let's journey with him. So the first thing that happened, the kind of first and obvious thing is that Abraham's gets a wife for him. So if you're thinking, I'm not married here, how am I going to get a wife or a husband? You know, who's going to get a partner for me? Uh, that actually, there's a critical story because Abraham gets a wife for him. I'm not, this isn't in favor of arranged marriages or not, basically. What he's saying is Abraham gets a wife for him. He's so content, Isaac almost is so content that God will provide that he lets his dad go and find a wife for him. And actually, the, what we find is that he doesn't come back with a dud. He comes back with an absolute cracker. And so he, he sends off his servant. 
He sends off his servant to find a wife for him, and interestingly, he finds the wife at a well. So let's read, just briefly, it says, uh, Genesis 24, Go to my country, this is what Abraham said to the servant, Go to my country and to my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Ishmael's mom, Hagar, had gone to Egypt to get a wife. Or there was, should I get a wife from amongst the people? But, but Abraham thought, no, I want to have a wife that's of my own family. I want a wife that's under the same promise, as it were. And so, so the servant asked him, what if the woman isn't willing to come back with me? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from? You can hear Abraham emphatically, make sure you do not take him, uh, my son, back from there. He's, gonna, he's promised to stay in this land. We're staying in this land. This is the place. Don't take him back from there. Uh, Abraham said, the Lord God of heaven who brought you out of the father's household of my native land and who spoke to me, he promised earth, saying, to your seed or your offspring, I'll give this land. He will send an angel before you so that you can get the wife for my son from there. There's this sense where Abraham believes that God's going to provide. And, and then, so Isaac just receives this wife. He's about 40. He says, Isaac married Rebecca at a well. Now Isaac came up from the well. The beer in the Bible means well. So he comes up from this well, uh, beer, lahiroi, lahiroi, sorry, my Hebrew is rubbish. And he went out, and he said he went out to the field one evening to pray. That word pray is maybe meditate, they're not quite sure. But interestingly, what is Isaac doing to get a wife? He's not out clubbing, he's not out on dating sites, they're all fine. You know, he's not thinking, well, the church is too small, so I've got no chance. You know, we've all gone through those kind of processes thinking, where, 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 where am I going to get a husband? Where, where, where am I going to get a wife? He's praying. He's praying. Praying, give me a good one. (laughs) He went out to the fields one evening to pray and looked up and he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is the man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. She took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told uh, all Isaac, all he'd done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her. There's this kind of parallel of Abraham provides and Isaac prays and receives. But actually, the parallels go on and on, and we're going to race through some. So the next thing is, we know that Abraham's wife is infertile, uh, and she can't have kids, and so she sleep, uh, Abraham sleeps with a slave girl. And I thought Vicky was brilliant when she talked about, um, you know, that again, Abraham's trying to take things into his own hands. And, you know, his, his, his sleeping with a slave girl was, Vicky said really brilliantly, um, he should have said, no, we're going to trust God. I thought it really resonated with, no, we're going to trust God for, um, for a baby. But so when Sarah came and said, you know, take it into your own hands, sleep with this really attractive slave girl from Egypt. Abraham just gets it all wrong. He, he, he sleeps with her. He should have said, no, we're going to trust God. He don't, he's, not, he's not even learned that lesson. But she's infertile. And he sleeps with a slave girl. I won't read it. We know the story. So she sleeps with the slave girl and she has a child. The child's called Ishmael. Guess what? Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is also infertile. There's this kind of mirroring of what his father is like and what he's like. Isaac's wife, Rebecca's infertile, but he prays to God and God provides a son. Let's read it. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca. He didn't really have his kids till he was about 60. So for about 20 years, 
Isaac is not taking it into his own hands. He's not sleeping with a slave girl. He's not doing that. He's trusting God. And he's praying. I don't know for how long he's praying. The Bible doesn't give us a time like it says he just prayed. So as Abraham takes it all into his own hand, Isaac's learned to pray. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. We'll race through some more. We may, may not do the read, read. Next thing we know about Abraham is there's a famine in Egypt and Abraham goes down to Egypt to have food. And again, when we, we, when we heard about this, the whole idea was he didn't trust God. God had said, come to this land and I will bless you. But the moment there's any hardship, he bails. I know we can be like that. We can say, oh, God called me to do this or God called me to do that. But the moment any hardship comes, we bail out. We're going to look for an easier life. We're going to look for something more comfortable. The challenge, no, I won't do that. I'll go down to Egypt. And you find in the Bible, going down to Egypt is almost a metaphor of bailing. Challenge comes and we go down to Egypt. I mean, you can say that. Jesus went down to Egypt because he was told. But that was to mirror what had happened to his people. And so he's relying on Pharaoh to provide in the time of famine. Now there's a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. What does Isaac do when there's a famine? Chapter 26. Famine comes and Jacob has learnt to trust God. He's moved on further than his father. He doesn't go down to Egypt. He learns to trust God. This is what it says. Whoops. There we go. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in in Abram's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerah. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you. Stay in this land for a while. And then he gets the same blessing. And he hasn't even worked for it. He's just stayed where he is. He says... uh, uh, and I will um, stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For, for you and your descendants, I will give these lands, and I'll confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abram. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all the lands. And through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And then why does Abram receive this? I mean, why does Isaac receive this? It says in bold, because Abram obeyed and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands and decrees. He even gets blessed because of his father. So all the time he's inheriting stuff from his father. Let's, let's race through. Next thing. This happens twice. Abraham does not get it right. He's, when he, he's a product of fear. When fear comes, he feels like, oh, I've got to lie or cover up or be deceitful. And so what happens is he goes to Abimelech, who's a Philistine king, uh, and he does what he's already done before in Egypt. So in Egypt, in Genesis 12, he goes down to Egypt and he, um, he says to Pharaoh, Sarah is my wife. Uh, sorry, Sarah's not my wife, she's my sister. And, 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 and Sarah goes and lives with, with Pharaoh. We don't know if they had sex or not. But he's basically not faithful to his wife. He's, he, he, he lets her down and, 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 and gives her away to a foreign king. And he does it again. In Genesis 20, it says, uh, it says, for a while, Abram was staring in Gerah. That's where the Philistines are. And Abram said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. He's not learned his lesson. Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to her, you are as good as dead because the woman you have taken is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. 
This is shocking. He's, it, this, is, this, is, this is marital unfaithfulness in Isaac's life. This is, this is fear. This is uh, uh, lying and deceit. And we'll find, guess what? Whereas Isaac's got good things from his father, he also gets this from his father. Here we go. Same. It may not be the same king. It may be the king of the same name. It may not be. Abraham, Isaac goes down to the Philistines, exact same place, and what does he do? He says, she's my sister. So Isaac's dear in Gerah, when the man of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me and come out of Rebecca, because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say he's my sister? And Isaac answered, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Abraham's sin goes into his boy. I've thought about that a lot. I was playing um, uh, golf with Roger Widdicombe. He's on sabbatical and we were having a chat. We went range, he leads uh, St. Paul's Church in Cheltenham. So we talk about church and we talk about family. And he was saying to me, you know, how do you parent teenagers? And I thought, well, yeah, I don't know why you're asking me. You know, mine have turned out terrible. <laughs> he said, no, yours have turned out okay. And I, and I, and I, I said, well, the, the, the critical thing is their relationship with you is what counts. Their relationship with you is almost like the thing that determines if they're going to walk with Jesus. And, and I know that if you're a parent, the impact you have on your kids is absolutely critical. What happens is, this is I found this in Manchester more, more, more obviously than perhaps you find it here, but you'd find families where the, the, there'd been breakup, marital breakup, and it, go, it wouldn't be just one or two generations, it'd be just generation after generation after generation of unfaithfulness. You'd find fathers that were alcoholics that would beat their kids. And guess what? Those kids that were beaten didn't think, I'm not going to be an alcoholic and beat my kids. They become alcoholics who beat their kids. The abused become the abusers because sin follows down from the family line. And we see it really critically here. We'll see it again in a moment. But, but we need to understand the responsibility. What are your parents like? What did you get from them that was good? What did you get from them that you thought... I mean, there's, there's Tom's dad's here, so we could look at... Look at Paul and say, well, what have you given to Tom that's good? What have you given to Tom that's not good? And we, we're all in that receipt. And Abraham's the same. He's, he's learned God will provide, but he's also learned some bad habits, bad stuff from his father that he needs to be cut off from. He needs to break off from, but he doesn't do it. Let's just do a few more. There's a dispute over wells of water. Abraham disputes with Imelech about wells of water. We won't read it. Guess what? Isaac disputes about wells of water. It says this, it says, So the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, because you've come too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerah. There he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after his father had died. And he gave them the same names as his father had given. I thought about this and I thought, actually, a- Abraham was a digger of wells. He was a bringer of life in a dry place. He's a digger of wells. A- but what happened is when, when he died, 
They, the Philistines just filled the wells up. But actually, Isaac comes and redigs wells. And I think there's a place for us to redig some of the wells of our fathers. There's, there's things that your, your far, forefathers or your fathers in the faith that have done that we don't do anymore. If you read about the great men of faith, the great women of faith in the past, they've got blocked up. Things block up your well. They block up the flow of God's life. They get blocked by, by kind of comfort and ease and just watching too much TV or you know, just wasting your time. And I think that God wants to say to some of us, we need to unblock some of those wells. We've got to get a, a fresh flow. We, we, you know, Ab- uh, the well, Philistines block the wells because they don't want Abraham's p- uh, children to inherit the land. But Isaac comes and unblocks them. And I think there's this place, God first, for unblocking wells. Holiness needs to, gets blocked with filth and muck. We need to unblock that well so goodness flows. Generosity gets blocked up. You might have had very generous parents, but it's very easy for that well to get blocked, and we need to unblock it. Abraham dug the wells, but Isaac's an unblocker of wells. A couple more. Here's a sad one, really. Abraham and Sarah clash over Ishmael. So what's the story, if you're tracking with me, is that Abraham couldn't have kids, as we said, and so his wife Sarah said, why don't you sleep with my slave girl, Hagar? And Abraham should have said no, but he says yes. And that brings conflict. It's still bringing conflict. That decision is still bringing conflict. To the Middle East, it's still bringing conflict. The sons of, the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael still fighting. Ishmael's sons, it said about Ishmael's sons, it's the Arabs. They're still, they fight each other. And that's what happens with just no peace, chaos. So that one decision just ripples on down through. And you might not make momentous decisions that affects the geopolitics 3,000, 4,000 years later, but your decisions ripple on through. The decisions you make ripple on through into your kids and into those around you. Sin isn't just a casual thing that we think, oh, I'm sorry, I, you know, we break bread, come to the front and say, oh, it's all sorted. God does forgive, and there's amazing grace, but the consequences carry on. And that's scary. Sin is much more potent, more dangerous, more cancerous than we ever realize. And that causes this clash in the family. Let's just read what happened. It says, Isaac Groom was weaned, so he's probably one or two. I don't know how, whether they kept him going longer than we do these days. Just ask the Fuchs how long they do it for. I don't know. Abraham grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son who Hagar, the Egyptian, had born born to uh, Abraham was mocking. And she said, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share the inheritance of my son Isaac. So there's these two brothers... There's an older brother and a younger brother. And there's this kind of conflict, of family conflict, because of sin that's been put in by the father. And, the, and, and it says Abraham was really sad because he's concerned about his son. He wasn't concerned about Isaac. He was concerned about Ishmael. And they basically Sarah and Abraham have this conflict in their marriage. Now, I know... It was, actually it was quite refreshing as I talked with Roger this week. I don't want to blow his cover. But he said... Hannah and I, we have conflict. And I said, 
So do I. Me and Nazi, I said, we can, we can do conflict for fun. Sometimes now, Damaris is in the back of the car going, you guys, stop it. You know, over tiniest little things. And conflict in a family is awful. It's not that you should bury conflict. It's not that you shouldn't be open. But actually, conflict in a family is bad because it teaches it to have conflict. Naomi's mum and dad. I'm not going to mention my mum and dad. <laughs> I'm a bit too young to remember. My dad died when I was young, so I didn't really get a window on it. But Naomi's mum and dad, they do conflict. And I think, oh, guys, will you stop it? And me and Naomi do conflict and stop it. I hope that Damaris and her husband, she used to pray for one, rather than go to clubs. <laughs> you know, I hope that the conflict doesn't just ripple on down. Uh, but, but here it is. Here's the conflict. Here's the conflict between a, a man and wife about something. It causes pain and anguish. But yet, conflict's everywhere in relationships. Sin matters. So, guess what? When the twins are born... She has t- she had, uh, uh, Rebecca has two twins. Let's just read that so we get up to speed with it. Rebecca became pregnant, so obviously Isaac's prayed. He's believed God and prayed. Let her womb be open. Babies jostled with it, each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? What's going on? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out was red, and his whole body was hairy like a garment. He was named Esau, which just basically means red. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So named him Jacob, which which means he grasps the heel. Isaac was six years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Now, imagine you were a mum in this situation. You've just had twins, and God has said this to you. What are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do with that information? When God speaks to you, what do you do with the information he gives you? When God speaks truth to you, what are you going to do with that information? I think she didn't do the right thing with that information. God gave her that information to stop conflict in the family. But she didn't. She didn't tell anyone. She just kept it under her hat. She didn't tell Isaac. So what we get is, years later, this. Family conflict over kids, going down the family line. I'll land it in a minute, guys. Rebecca said to her son Jacob, so what happens is a situation where Abraham's gonna, uh, uh, Isaac's going to bless his kids. I hope I'm not going to take Adam's next week. We're kind of queuing you up next week. Isaac's going to bless his two kids, and he's going to bless the older one, Esau, not the younger one. And he says to him, go out and go hunting. I, I, Esau's a hunter. Go out and get some game, kill some game and bring it back to me and eat the stew, and I'll eat it, and then I'll bless you. Now, actually, behind the tent flap, uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca's listening. And she's not talked, she's stopped communicating with her husband now. She's just subverting him. Now, she should have maybe told him, actually, what was going on. But she's, she's kind of heard God's word, and she's trying to make it happen in her own way, and she subverts it. And so we pick up the story. It says, uh, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, look, I heard, overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Then, so Rebecca says, now, Jacob, now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. This is deceitful. Deceitful is in the family line. Lying is in the family line. They're doing it. 
Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so he may give you his blessing before he's died. I don't really thought about that. that it just seems incidental. But why? I read this. Paul Gardner writes, Isaac and Rebekah did not tell the twin boys the God-given knowledge that God had spoken to Rebekah that Jacob, not Esau, would receive the blessing from the firstborn. What he's saying is she should have, God told her that information to stop the conflict. God had actually sovereignly, and you can read about elsewhere in the Bible, chosen the younger one. Now Isaac should have known that. Ishmael was the older one, but yeah, Isaac was the chosen young one. Nearly done here. Jacob uh, would uh, not receive the blessing of the firstborn. If they told the little ones that they they would absorb this reality without perhaps ill effects. They neglected God's word, and as a result, the whole family was torn apart. Abraham, Isaac and Rebekah were at odds, and a rift between Jacob and Esau lasted for 25 years. Guys, it's critical how we respond to our, our parenting, our family background, and it's absolutely critical how we respond to those around us. We're all products of our parents, and we find some good stuff and some bad stuff. Let's sum it up and then we'll land it with Jesus. So whether you're aware or unaware of it, you're a disciple of your parents. <clears throat> what did you get from your parents? What's good and what's bad that's come from your parents? What's come down to them that you think, great, I, I thank God that my, my dad was a Christian. Because I believe I'm a Christian partly because of that. You don't automatically do it. But I'm blessed because he was blessed. He loved the Bible, and he taught me to love the Bible. But he's also quite passive, and would easily become quite lazy, and just leave my mum to do it all. Oh my word, here I am. I can easily become quite passive and lazy. There was conflict. They'd argue with each other. Me and Nazi argue with each other. There's good things and bad things that have come down from the family. I was talking to, in my three this week, on Friday, <clears throat> and Paul Hunt is in the States at the moment, he said he'd just been reading Kings. And here's this pattern really clear. So Asa, is a king, did what's right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. And then another king, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father, and committing the same sins his father had caused Israel to commit. What are we going to learn from our fathers. What are we going to learn in those defining moments? Really, really critical. Have you learned to unblock those good things and walk away from the others? Have you learned to pray instead of take the ideas into your own hands? Have you learned to not sin in the ways your fathers did? Or have you done just the same thing? And what you are will be passed down. Sometimes to those that are friends with you. Sometimes that are you know, to your natural children. If your parents are controlling, you'll become anxious and then you might become controlling. We need to be free of these things. We need to live differently. So I've just summed it up. Good things. God, he's learned, God provides. He learned to pray. He learned bold faith. He learned that God blesses. But he also learned lying and deceit. He learned fear and unfaithfulness. He learned conflict in marriage. I'm just going to focus on Jesus as we finish. 
Why don't you come back, band? We're almost there. We've got to learn the lessons that Abraham learned, Isaac learned, Isaac learned in, the, in, the, in the same way. The ultimate reality, and this is good, is that you're not ultimately defined by your natural parents. You're defined by a new reality. You're defined by a new lamb that was slain. Isaac learned that incredible lesson, God will provide. God will provide. And we need to learn that lesson. If you're feeling stressed or anxious or you've got patterns of sin... You know, your father looked at pornography, you look at pornography. Your mother was nagging, and you're nagging. Whatever the obvious, stereotypical challenges of men and women are, sorry. But we need to break those things. And in Jesus, we've got a new picture, a new image. We've got to remember, God provides when you're thinking, what am I, what's my family trait going to be like? You're going to remember the, the ram that was caught in the thicket. You're going to remember the, the one who laid down his life. Jesus said of his father, I only do what the father tells me to do. I only say what the father tells me to say. No sin in Jesus, perfect, spotless, shows us what a good father we've got as those who believe. But he laid on the altar, as it were, on the cross. And the father, as we ended last week, Jesus wasn't spared by his father. His body was broken. He was slain so that we can know life so that we can know new life. So we're going to break bread. And as we come forward in a moment, I'm going to, well, again, in a moment, I'm going to ask us to reflect on what our family and fathers are like. But as we come forward, I want you to, to take and eat. There's something, I've said this many times, but there's something powerful about taking in and eating. It's not like something that's external to you. The truth that God is your Father is not external to you. The truth that Jesus died in your place and is your true or not better older brother. The one whose blessing has come to you. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about Isaac and uh, Esau and, and, and Jacob. But you're the one whose blessings come to you. And we can be those people defined by him. If you've got sin that runs down your family line, you need to deal with it. But you don't deal with it by going to the psychotherapist. You deal with it by recognizing it and saying, Jesus, you've died to that. I'm made new. I have a new identity. I'm a son of my Father in heaven now. Increasingly more and more. Made like him. Transformed into his likeness. So we're going to stand a moment. I'm just going to stand and have you think and then I'll have you come forward? If you're not a Christian this morning, the inevitability of the destructive sins of your mom and dad are going to come to you. You can't stop it. That's the way it works. 
their self-sufficiency, their running round, their anger, their conflict, their lying, their deceit, their fear will come to you and define you. And in those life-defining moments, you become bitter and angry and closed. But if you've got God as your father, his likeness is going to become our likeness. His breath in our lungs, the fruit of the Spirit, is going to make us more and more like him. So if you're not a Christian, this meal's not for you. So please don't come out. But if you say, I need the goodness of Jesus in me to fill me and transform me, I need the sin to be forgiven and I need his life in me, then you can come. But I'd love you to just grab somebody at the end and say, I've made that commitment for the first time. But for the rest of you, just think for a moment. You know you don't have to think too hard. Think of those life-defining moments. How did you react? You're abandoned by your parents, by your partner. Yes, they've sinned against you. But has that sin come to you? Lord, I just pray for everyone who's been rejected, abandoned. I pray for faithfulness to come from you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that maybe their parents were, didn't have much cash. They were poor. And instead of being generous, they've put their tr- trust in, tr- in treasures. Their bank account is what gives them security. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be generous. Help us to give away. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be self-made men and women, but be those who pray. God, make us in your image. We'd be God-made men and women. Lord, I just pray for that. I pray as we take bread and wine, Lord, that your character would be given to us more and more. And I pray, cut us off, Lord Jesus. Cut us off from the sins of our fathers. Let us be like Isaac who learnt to pray and to walk in it and to believe always God will provide. Thank you, Lord, that you've provided a, a lamb, a sacrifice for us. And if you've given him, says Paul in Romans, won't you, along with him, provide everything for us. So we come to you, the good Father, and say, let your character be formed in us. Let the community life of this church be shaped not by the weaknesses of our parents, but by their strengths, but more than that, by the strength of our good, good Father. In Jesus' name. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.